You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM and on rr365.co.uk. We're also on Facebook Live um, with your program Reflections. Um, your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. I am... Uh, Alhamdulillah in Lahore and Sheikh Radwan is in Istanbul and we bring you these reflections live every day um, from uh, two different corners of the world, mainly for the audience and uh, viewers in Glasgow. Uh, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that who enables us and gives us uh, this tawfiq uh, to discuss, to contemplate, to reflect on some of the ayahs of the Quran that he, the Almighty, revealed through his beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Surah Anbiya, 21st Surah of Quran, uh, and ayahs 24 to 29 is what we will be reflecting upon today. Uh, and inshallah, we will go for the ayahs, translation, and commentary by Sheikh Rizwan. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. And we sent not before you any messenger except that we revealed to him that there is no deity except me, so worship me. And they say, the most merciful has taken a son. Exalted is he. Rather, they are but honored servants. They cannot precede him in word, and they act by his command. He knows what is presently before them and what will be after them. And they cannot intercede except on behalf of one whom he approves. And they, from fear of him, are apprehensive. And whoever of them should say, Indeed, I am a God besides him, that one we would recompense with hell. Thus do we recompense the wrongdoers. Have those who disbelieved not considered that the heavens and the earth were a joint entity, and we separated them and made from water every living thing? Then will they not believe? شروع اللہ کے نام سے جو بے انتہا رحم کرنے والا ہے کیا اسے چھوڑ کر یہ آیات ہیں سورہ انبیاء کی آیات چوبیس سا انتیس جو تلاوت پیش کی گئی وہ پچیس تا تیس تھی کیا اسے چھوڑ کر انہوں نے دوسرے خدا بنا لیے ہیں اے محمد ان سے کہو کہ لاؤ اپنی دلیل یہ کتاب بھی موجود ہے جس میں میرے دور کے لوگوں کے لیے نصیحت ہے جس میں میرے دور کے لوگوں کے لیے نصیحت ہے اور وہ کتابیں بھی موجود ہیں جن میں مجھ سے پہلے لوگوں کے لیے نصیحت تھی مگر ان میں سے اکثر لوگ حقیقت سے بے خبر ہیں اس لیے منہ مو موڑے ہوئے ہیں 
हमने तो हमने तुमसे पहले जो रसूल भी भेजा उसको यही वही की है कि मेरे सिवा कोई खुदा नहीं बस तुम लोग मेरी ही बंदगी करो ये कहते हैं रहमान औलाद रखता है सुबहान अल्लाह वो तो बंदे हैं जिन्हें इज्जत दी गई उसके हुजूर बढ़कर नहीं बोलते और बस उसके हुक्म पर अमल करते हैं जो कुछ उनके सामने है इसे भी वो जानता है जो कुछ उनसे ओझल है इससे भी वो बाखबर है वो किसी की सिफारिश नहीं करते बजुज उनके बजुज उसके जिसके हक में सिफारिश सुनने पर अल्लाह राजी हो और वो उसके खौफ से डरते रहते हैं और जो उनमें से कोई कह दे कि अल्लाह के सिवा मैं भी एक खुदा हूं तो उसे हम जहन्नुम की सजा दें हमारे यहाँ जालिमों का यही बदला है Sheikh Surah Anbiya, uh, I felt a little bit lost yesterday. Uh, we got into discussions which had the context, but we got into something which probably was a bit stretched from the topic. Um, what we were discussing in Surah Anbiya, um, the heedlessness, um, the warning, uh, and people not taking the warning, people turning away. mocking the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the messengers um not paying attention that it deserves and actually ignoring it and in their ignorance they start mocking it because as if it's not important or they may not be um kind of they, they don't get the blame of not listening to something which is worthwhile from there we got on to the topic of uh does allah exist and if he the exalted exists uh when you know does he devolve powers uh, does he share powers and how uh we discussed the, the the very obvious argument of there can't be more than one god that's how far we got yesterday and today we will be continuing on from there inshallah yeah bismillah rahman rahim so yesterday's um, discussion was pinpointed the issue of tawhid not just the existence of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the oneness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not just as the creator because the the fact that there's only one creator is is self evident and obvious that when you when you start something off there's an initial impetus initial cause and this is why you know when we talk about um the proofs for why there is a creator you say that you know everything that has a beginning that we know of has a cause that everything you think about that has a beginning that you can think of has a cause something brings it into being and when we know that the universe has a beginning and everybody knows i mean there's no serious um opposition from cosmologists or scientists or metaphysicians about the fact that the universe cosmos has a beginning so it's logical that it has a has a cause so that cause is god that cause it doesn't matter what you call it in fact you can call it the cause in capital letters the whole purpose the whole point is there's an, a conscious um knowledgeable living being that brought that into being and so therefore even think about having more than one god or having partners it doesn't make any sense because essentially they're subservient to god therefore they can't be gods and that's essentially what happened in the in the last verse we talked about which is verse number i think 22 which is when when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says law kana fihi ma alihatun illa allah la fasadata Yeah. If there was more than one, or there was two um, deities or deities within the heavens and the earth, they would have become corrupted. And so Allah's response to that is Subhana. You know, Subhanallah is said. You know, when Subhanallah is said, it's um, it's used when something is said about God which is not palatable or not befitting and not proper. That's when Subhanallah comes up. So when, when something is said about God which is not correct it's a lie in the quran always uses subhana subhanallah so essentially that's rejected by the fact that it doesn't make any sense and then the quran you know verse number 23 i don't think we i don't actually don't think we covered verse number 23 but it's probably one of the most pivotal verses for me in the in the chapter which is la yusalu amma yafal wa hum yusalu 
the, you know, he, Allah will not be asked about what, he, what he's doing. Hmm. But they will be asked. Now, who are they? They are, um, you know, I, I would imagine the trans, I don't know what translation you have. Or, who's going to be asked about this? <clears throat> he's not questioned about what he does, but they will be questioned. Or he cannot be questioned about what he does, with the capital H, but they will who all are they? be questioned. Who yeah, are they? The rejectors, the people, or yes. So you know, a lot of commentators say, well, it's these deities and idols that are created. But essentially, what uh, it means is the people that created the deities yeah. and the idols. La yusalu amma yafalu wahum yusalun. Yeah. So you can say, well, because it's talking about idols and partners, they will be asked, why did they create partners? Why did they create these deities in front in, instead of Allah, and then worship, you know, other things? Um. You could just take it as that, that God won't be asked what he does, but they'll be asked what they do. It's understood as what they do. Now, that verse, again, you could take it just in its context, which is just about the polytheists and creating idols and the, and the whole idolatry of that situation. But you could take it as this general um, general rule of life, which is, you know, so anything happens in life. Any any scenario comes into being, any major event takes place in the world. There is, you know, you know, you have inquiries. So, for example, in, in Britain today, there is a, a call for our our prime minister um, of the UK to be, you know, to 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 come clean on on certain financial issues. So, there's people that ask him an, an inquiry. So, there's people to call other people to account. And so this verse is essentially saying, who's, who will call who to whom to account? You know, so it comes back to the first verse, that the hisab of people is close, close and surely encroaching upon them and coming upon them. And it's a question of who's going to ask whom about their hisab. You know, you're not going to arrive in the day of judgment and say to Allah, okay, well, you know, when I was 17, you did this, and then 20, 27, this happened, and then you know, towards the end of my life, I had to go through X, Y, and Z. Okay, tell me what's what's the, what's the score here? I didn't understand that. It's pretty clear in which direction the questioning comes. In fact, we have no conception of the fact that anyone will even even um, have the audacity to even encroach the topic of asking God. But on earth, why do we why do we do that? So on earth, everybody asks God, "Why me?" Everybody asks God, what's the wisdom behind this? Or how, in fact, the more um, rash of them will say, how dear, how dear God. In fact, you know, um, that, that expression, how dear he, or how dear you, this was actually Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry was on a, you know, Stephen Fry is a, is it Stephen Fry? Yes, it is Stephen Fry. Famous comedian. I don't know if you know him, but he's very famous. Um, Eton, I'm sure he's studied from Eton College and then went to Oxford or something. So very privileged, very kind of, you know, and it has this kind of sense of, um, you know, kind of invincibility, intellectual invincibility about him. And he was asked if, if you know, does God exist? He said no. And then he was asked, okay, if God did exist and you met him, what would you say to him? And, you know, his, his, his answer was, in hmm. the light of this chapter, it's fascinating. How dare you? So he, the, the interviewer said, what's the first thing you'll say to God? And he said, how dare you? How dare you create uh, cancer in children? How dare you um, create earthquakes? How dare you allow people to murder other people? He went on a whole list of things. You know, how dare you? And the Quran is saying, لا يسألوا عما يفعل وهم يسألون. Because there's two things here. One is that even if God is causing suffering and, 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 and torture within earth and he has the ability to stop it, and he doesn't, still doesn't give you the prerogative to ask in, a, in the sense of accountability. Leave aside the fact that he doesn't. Leave, leave aside the fact that these are things that are just part and parcel of the natural world because he's a naturalist. He believes in cause and effect. He believes that you know cancer in children is, is, is caused by carcinogenics that humans produce. So if he had slightly just thought about what he was saying, he essentially is saying, I'm going to ask all these people that created all these chemicals that are in the environment why did you release them into, into the environment so that children get cancer? Hmm. But what did he do? Lack of courage. Look at his intellectual lack of courage. He, he says, I'll ask God, how dare you? 
what, how dare you what, complete the sentence, which is how dare you give people the ability to make choices and do what they want. And so you're left with the fact that God exists, you exist as a human being with free choice, you have an egg on your face, and on the, in the day of judgment you'll have worse. What's left? Nothing except your own arrogance. And this is the arrogance of the, the atheist of this, of this age. This is kind of sense of privileged arrogance that you see constantly within culture and within society and within public, public life as well. It's almost like the, the new religion. The public space is a, is a space of atheism. It's not a space of religion at all. Religion has been um, completely wiped off. The, the, the kind of, you know, the public sphere is, is, completely, is completely non-existent. And so when Allah says that, it is such a big a universal statement. That's the end of, you know, when the paint dries and the pens have been lifted and everything settles, the dust settles. What's the what's going to happen there? What's the headline? He will not be asked about what he did. They will be asked about what, what their choices were. End of story. So whether it's creating idols, whether it's killing, whether it's creating mass um, genocide, all of these things, you'll be asked about it. And what God can be asked about is the wisdom behind why we go through difficulties. The wisdom, not how dare you. And so pre-modern man used to ask God, what is the wisdom, shows the wisdom behind this. Modern man has the audacity and the arrogance and the, and the downright um, insolence to say to God, how dare you. That's where we reached. And so that verse is, is such an interesting one because it says, stop, everybody stop. And let's just take account of where we are going. Hisab is, you are the one that's going to give the hisab, not God. You and, cannot. And, uh, is it not kind of rhetorical? It's, uh, it's, it's not really the gods, G-O-D-S, like small g. Uh, the people who ascribe them as gods, people who are subscribed to this is, they, they will be questioned because those gods don't exist. Yeah, absolutely. No I mean, yeah, there's no existence to them. There exists the, 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 the materials that make them make them come into being or the names that we give them. Yeah. In here, the Quran yeah. says that in, in elsewhere in the Quran, I think Surah Najm, that these are nothing but names that you, you and your forefathers have come up with. So, but, they, but they will be questioned. Are the people who... Uh, invent this are the ones who will be questioned. Yeah, there's that, and there's also the other verses of the Quran in which they talk about the the everything. What you and what you worship will be the will be the um, the the wood of and and the fuel of fire, the fire of hell. Which means, you know, some people worship prophets, and so some people ask, well, does that mean the prophets will be? No. You know, will they be then punished? No, they won't be. They will be asked about what did you say to these people to, that made them take you as idols or gods or whatever. So the whole point is, at the end of the day, it's always, it always goes back to the person doing the act, not the innocent party. So if somebody says about me, I did something, okay, and it happened to be untrue, you're going to question the person that made it up. Not you're not going to question me. And if there's a fine or a or some kind of um, judgment on a person. It's not going to be me because somebody said something about me. It's going to be the person that invented it. Or, yeah. or at least we would imagine in, in a sane society that would be the way that people think. But unfortunately, that's not the way people think. Um, and so this verse, I think it's a fascinating verse, verse number 23, because it comes up in lots of discussions in Islamic theology and, and thinking. And then the, the, the rest of the, the verses are essentially about um, you know, taking idols and and um, you know setting up partners with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. When when people have no right to do that as, at all, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know, He says that what have they adapt, adopted deities other than Him? Say, O Messenger, if so, present your proof. But look, here is the book. Those who are in my company follow, and those and and these and there there are the books that those who came before before me followed. Whereas they have nothing to do with knowledge, so that they might know the truth. This is why they turn away from it in aversion. In other words, you know, the, the truth is, is backed up by revelation and, and previous scriptures. But as for these people, 
معرضون. They just turn back in aversion. And Allah says, we never sent a messenger before you accept that we revealed to him that there's no, what, did, what was it? That there's no deity except me, meaning Allah, capital M. So worship me alone. And then it continues with all these kind of excuses that people say, yet some of them say that all merciful has taken him for himself a child. So never mind a prophet being worshipped. It's like angels being worshipped or God, Allah, Ar-Rahman has taken a child. What does Allah say? Subhana, glorified be he. Rather those, in other words, the angels or the things that they set up other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are but his honoured servants, his Abid, his his um, you know loyal loyal um, slaves, and that's the reality of it. And the what's the quality of them? They only speak when they're spoken to, and only when they're given opportunity to speak, do they speak? And all all of this only by Allah's command. So, you know, each each, each concoction that people come up with, each invention that people come up with, after they say there must be a creator, okay. If it's a distant, timeless, spaceless creator, then they have to come up with some kind of close form that makes them make, make, makes them understand things. So some kind of idol, some kind of deity, some kind of um, statue, some kind of idea that brings them closer, that they can bring it into their house and worship it and set aside a room or a place where they can worship you know, this, this idol. But, you know, the idol, what quality does it have? You know, Essentially, it comes back to what can the quality do? What, what can the idol do? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is God and, and one of God's quality that he knows whatever is before them, what's behind them. Hmm. And these angels or these deities cannot intercede for anybody unless God wants that to happen. And what is it? They are min khashyatihi mushfiqoon. You know, they're apprehensive. They're fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can these be partners? And 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 so, you know, this this section which is about shirk and about idol worship finishes off with just a very simple tying up of that until after it goes into and it goes into a very interesting discussion in the next verses. And whoever amongst them says that I am a deity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Fadalika Nadzihi Jahannam. That person will have recompense of Jahannam, which is the fire of hell. And this is the way that we deal with people that are unjust. So these verses, you know, they're all simply about the need for human beings to create some kind of association, some partner, some intermediary, something tangible that they can call their own and then set up as a partner. And this is in history, this has been a very, you know, kind of, Prominent thing as we look in history, you know, people setting up idols, temples, um, because they are unable to fathom Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, because He's time beyond time, beyond space. They almost need, like Hinduism, for example, they'll have this idea of um, different types of gods and different kinds of deities that help them in different things, like fertility and and you know, prosperity and war and peace and you know, rain and all these kind of things. Why do you need to sub, you know, what do you, what do you call it in English? You call it a sublet. Sublet, yeah. <clears throat> you know, sublet. Devolve. devolve the powers of God to, you know, all these minions that you have, which will do God's bidding. And then there's a great God that sits over them. Mm-hmm. So As what, if what is it like? enough. Yeah, so. Time, uh, time is eight o'clock uh, in Glasgow. Um, reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. A very short ad break. Uh, we're discussing Surah Ambiya. Uh, our theme tune for this year is Mustafa Jani Rahmat Pelakhon Salam, which we have covered from time to time. Uh, the meaning of it and the, the gist of it. Such a beautiful knot that is. Uh, in uh, this next section, we'll be pondering more on these ayahs in reference to what's been said to Prophet وسلم, and how he intercedes and uh, the limits of our understanding of intercession as well. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful.
وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ And we sent not before you any messenger except that we revealed to him that there is no deity except me, so worship me. وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ الرَّحْمَانُ وَلَدَاهُ سُبْحَانَهُ بَلْ عِبَادٌ مُكْرَمُونَ And they say, the most merciful has taken a son. Exalted is he. Rather, they are but honored servants. لَا يَسْبِقُونَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ وَهُمْ بِأَمْرِهِ يَعْمَلُونَ they cannot precede him in word, and they act by his command. He knows what is presently before them and what will be after them, and they cannot intercede except on behalf of one whom he approves. And they, from fear of him, are apprehensive. And whoever of them should say, Indeed, I am a God besides him, that one we would recompense with hell. Thus do we recompense the wrongdoers. Have those who disbelieved not considered that the heavens and the earth were a joint entity, and we separated them and made from water every living thing? Then will they not believe? Sadaqallahuladheem. Samayin Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM se, jo is waktaab Facebook Live or hamari website rr365.co.uk se bhi sun aur dekh rahe hain program Reflections. Main hoon aapka host Zubair Akram aur mere saath mere mehman hai chanab Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Hum Surah Anbiya ki ayat pe Sheikh se commentary le rahe hain aur اب تک تقریباً 29 آیات گیارویں رمضان المبارک تک ہم یہاں تک پہنچے ہیں اور آج کی آیات کا ترجمہ دوبارہ سے اس بریک کے بعد آپ کے سامنے رکھتے ہیں اور کچھ یوں ہے کہ کیا اسے چھوڑ کر انہوں نے دوسرے خدا بنا لیے ہیں اے محمد صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ان سے کہو کہ لاؤ اپنی دلیل یہ کتاب بھی موجود ہے جس میں میرے دور کے لوگوں کے لیے نصیحت ہے جس میں میرے دور کے لوگوں کے لیے people of my era وہ کتابیں بھی موجود ہیں جن میں سے مجھ سے پہلے لوگوں کے لیے نصیحت تھی مگر ان میں سے اکثر لوگ حقیقت سے بے خبر ہیں اس لیے مو موڑے ہوئے ہیں ہم نے تم سے پہلے جو رسول بھی بھیجا اس کو یہی وحی کی ہے کہ میرے سوا کوئی خدا نہیں پس تم لوگ میری ہی بندگی کرو so شیخ this idea of that this is for the time it's not it seem it appears what's been emphasized it's not timeless it is for this time yes yeah, so you're asking about verse probably number verse number 24 so this is probably what you're asking but this is um yes yeah, so i think you have to understand the, the verse, well, the section in the context, so this is a small phrase in, in the verse itself. So before it says that, do they, are they going to take idols besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And Allah says, قُلْ burhanakum. It says to them, it's almost like they're doing something and then you say, okay, prove it. Mm-hmm. And then you're expecting proof. You're expecting them to say, okay, here's the reason why we can um, take an idol or take some kind of interceder between ourselves and God. And 
because nothing comes out of that, what you have to understand in, in, in Arabic, you have something called hadaf, which in, in I don't think you have in Urdu, you don't have it really in English uh, either. Hadaf, yani chupawa. Chupawa, yeah, it's, it's implied and understood. Yeah, hey, ni Lekin, it's understood. It's understood, but sometimes not understood. So in Arabic, it's, it's, it's done even when some people might not understand it, but it's, it should be understood. It's like you have to understand the dynamics of the language to understand something's happening. In fact, today I was reading an article by an atheist from Pakistan, actually. And he was saying, you know, one of the reasons I do believe in the Quran is there's no humor in it. Okay. You know, there's, there's no jokes in it. It's not, it doesn't make you laugh. So I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, kambakht. First of all, the word kambakht. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was, it was a lovely article with lots of big words and all the rest of it. You know, the, the guy thought he was very intelligent, mm. and then I was sitting there thinking, does he even understand what humor is? Humor is is part of a context. Like for example, if I say something about, um, say people who are. You know, just think of somebody I can I can mock. I could be I can what they do nowadays they they no platform you, which means that they tell people that you cannot speak in public. You have to be you have to resign. You have to do all these things. Now, if I say it as a comedian and it's clear the way I'm saying it's a, like a, a joke or a comedian, then there's always a comedian he's saying as a joke. Humor is is based on the context and the tone that you're using, and it's based upon the interaction with a person. Unless the Quran was a book of jokes, knock, knock, who's there? You know, truth, truth, who? Who, who? You know, you can't, how can you make up, how can any religious book have, have jokes like that? It doesn't. Does it have humor? It has things that make you, it does make you smile. It makes you sometimes laugh because it is mocking. Because Sukhriya, I've got a PhD in, in Arabic um, language on Sukhriya, which is the use of um, sarcasm in the Quran. So sarcasm is a type of humor. It's actually sarcasm is, is considered to be the highest form of humor by you know Greek philosophers. So this poor person was arguing that Mazaniaria, Quran Parsha. You know, there's no there's no mirch masala, there's no uh, sweet, there's, sweet kind of jokes. There's nothing that I can sit back and have a whiskey and then just have a good laugh. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah. This is not a book that's there to joke. And so the reason I mention this is because you know when you when you said you know, your your question was such a general question that you know the Quran is for. I think I think from what I remember now is that it's for all times and all places, or it's about this time. But remember, it's this verse is coming up and saying they're doing this, which is worshiping idols, and the Quran says bring your proof. And in brackets says and they just looked and were silent. And then the Quran says to the Prophet I have the proof, which is, I have the proof of what is here with me and amongst me, and I have the, uh, the proof and the religious sources and the scripture of the people before me, none of whom said that take idols from angels or from pieces of stone and pieces of wood. In other words, this is actually specifically about the response to, to the polytheists who, who could not answer the question, give me proof of why you're worshipping idols. The, yes, the Quran so, is saying, oh, Muhammad, okay, or have they taken gods beside him? Say, oh, Muhammad, produce your proof. This Quran is a message for those with me and the message so see, the thing is, if, if somebody me. read this, yes, so the people who read this in translation, they would they would almost impossible impossible for them to make a link between what's what I've said and what's in the English or even the Urdu or whatever because it's understood the dynamics of the Quran is such. In fact, somebody texted me last night quite late about two words in the Quran, Udran or Nudra in, in Surah Al Mursalat, I think verse number in the first section. And he said, What does it mean? I'm confused. And I, and I said, just look at the translations. And he and he sent me six translations. We, all of them, which were all of them, all were wrong. All of them missed the whole point of the of the verse, which is either or. Mm. None of them came with. I mean, it was, it was, I, I was shocked because I didn't look at the English. He said, "Look, I can't understand." It. I said, "Look at the translation." He sent me a a, a photo, well, a, a, of his of his phone. I think it was a screenshot of you know some 
online, you know, comparison of the same thing. Yeah, so it has the verse at the top, and it has like I think seven or eight translations. And I said, "Yep, that's where we are." I mean, it's not that that's where we are. It's the fact that it, it's clear what the Quran is saying. Udra and Nudra. It's either they will be given an excuse so we, so they can seek forgiveness from Allah, or they will be given a warning. You know, it's trick or treat. That's why I said, you know, that's what comes to mind when I read when I read it. in the Quran is trick or treat, and so it's a contrast. You know, which which what are you going to choose? It's like time for a decision, but the translations didn't have any of that inf information at all. So same thing here. It is if if you read it, it just looks like separate bits, you know, clunked together like Lego, without any kind of connection at all. Whereas if you look at it and you think and you ponder, it's actually a very dynamic. Tense conversation between the polytheists who are all of a sudden, uh, I don't know what's happening here, I'm sorry, blah blah blah. And then the Quran is saying to the Prophet and telling them, As for us, we have the the proofs of this time that we're living in, and we have all the scriptures going back, and none of them say anything about polytheism, none of them, none of them say anything about worshipping or taking gods beside Allah or setting up a, a, a prophet as a son of God, for example. None of them do that. Like, where's the proof? The Quran says, "Hatu burhanakum." Provide your evidence. And then, what was what, what they say after that? Bal aksaruhum la yalamun al-haq. But most of them don't even know truth. Not the truth, but it's like what truth is. Truth is the the battle between one side and another, in which clearly one is correct. Hmm. And the result, the psychological result of that is, you know, what happens? You go in a half. In English, you say we turn away angrily or out of disregard or um, arrogance. Yeah. Don't, you basically you've lost the fight and you just throw your. You know what they do is the children they throw their dummy, and you know going to have a half. It's a, it's a, you know this verse. I don't know why you picked it up, but it's, it's such a dynamic verse that lots of images come up when you're listening to it because you can see the face of the polytheist challenged, and just running away from the battle. Mm. And so I know what you I, I don't know what your question initially was, but it wasn't this. I, I guarantee it wasn't that. I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's evident, but still that raises the question that Quran, it, okay, what uh, what they call in Urdu is Shani Nuzul, right? Yeah, yeah. So so why, is it the, why it's revealed. But to understand why it was revealed, also, kind of uh, dictate that we need to understand what is it in it for me both are important I could understand in the, the context is revealed the story mm -hmm. is it's been told at the time mm -hmm. but then also we also know that the book is timeless book is for me as well okay so what you do there is you first of all you find out exactly what was happening when this was revealed because that gives you an insight into Ibn Daqiq al-Eid said it gives you an insight into the wisdom of the Quran because you can tell why it's why why this verse came where it was and why it was placed next to other verses and so at least you can try and live as much as possible time travel into the place and see what's happening okay mm -hmm. so once you've done that which is Shan al-Nuzul as you said Asbab al-Nuzul which is the reason why things are revealed then you say okay what is the basic Rules. What's the basic lessons coming out of of that specific thing we saw? So imagine, um, I'm trying to think. Something happened today. Anything happened today in my life? So I can I can use an example because I was in the house all days, homebound because of lockdown. So, so um, lots of lots of noise because some house kind of like building work next door. No, no. Today, alhamdulillah, it's been the the, the workers have been away. Um, okay. So usually <laughs> I get woken up like. You know, they, they work for Alhamdulillah they're really well here. It's seven o'clock in the morning, they're they've got their drills and hammers out. Uh -huh. Um so my, my point was you get the you get into the nitty-gritty of what's happening at the time. So you understand exactly what the dynamics, the 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 the, the, the movers and shakers are, who they are, who the characters are in this discussion. And then what you try and do is, yeah, what you said, what's in it for me? So what's the take-home lesson? Yep. So in uh, um in tafsir, you would say the khulasa. Yeah. Like the, yep. You know, the nature in, in Urdu as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Khulasa, nature, or uh, yeah. Um, so then that's where the Quran tells you to do the dabur. 
because you know finding out who was involved and what was happening and who said what is not the double that's just research that's just you know looking up a book and finding out okay who was this revealed about when was it revealed who do we know who these people were who were worshiping what were they worshiping that's easy that's just you know you can get your apprentice to do that you know it's like if you're working i know a lot of authors in fact um um let's see who who, who was it some a very famous scholar in 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 um in Damascus, who wrote the the book um, Fiqh al-Islami wa Adilatuhu? Um, actually, it's 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 it's, it's, it's gone from my mind actually. Um, and he also wrote a massive tafsir called Siraj al-Munir, which is like forty volumes. He didn't write it. What he did is he had his students collect the information, and he just cover, he just went over with that, his own reflections, and then reordered things, and you know focused and 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 took out the elements that he wanted to have and a lot of people do that nowadays a lot of people yes uh, a so, lot of names come to mind exactly so you know people that have like written thousands of books and yeah. essentially what's what they have is a system in place where they have people that know what their teacher or whatever wants to check or or look at they search it and they bring it to him and he says okay it's going to doesn't mean yeah. the person is Urdu or this guy is not Urdu. I'm saying, you know, put this here, take this out, put this here. Um, I'm trying to think who this person I, I, um It's such an obvious name, but it's, it's gone from my mind. The point is, everybody can collect that information. There's many, not everybody, many people, hundreds of people, hundreds of people could do that. Yeah, literature, review is, literature review is different from actually coming to a conclusion. And then the thing of looking at it and then taking out what is useful, what's not, that takes experience, insight. It takes a lot of dedicated work over years and years that those hundred people will never know why did you tell us to take this out and put this here or, or leave this in or that. When you find out the details of the Quran, the purpose and the process of each individual is the double, which is to reflect. When the, pe when the penny drops. Yeah, reflecting and saying, what's in this for me? So your thing of what's in it for me is essentially, you know, every person will have five or ten points they could bring out of this. I guarantee you bring people around. Once I've explained the chapter, the verse itself, and I've said, okay, what do you get out of it? I could have probably 20 answers. Ten of them will be fantastic. And essentially, they'll come from their own experience, which will be universal principles that are upheld by this verse. And one of the, the most basic ones is, is the utility of truth and the, and the and the futility of falsehood hmm. you know the fact that there is such a thing as true and false nowadays we live in a culture which is actually the, you know if you ask me what's the most pernicious dangerous aspect of modern culture it is relativism that everybody's got their some sort of truth and everybody lives lives and let lives and there's no there's no opportunity for any anybody to claim truth at any more. You just have like parts of truth and you have your own truth and all this kind of mumbo jumbo. At the end of the day, there's certain things that are observable, measurable. There's certain things that can be debated and argued to a conclusion. And we're not allowed to do that anymore. We're, we're all we're told is ideology is what's important. You have to subscribe to the ideology. You have to accept what the what's in fashion and vogue as being the gospel truth you know pardon the pun but it's the gospel truth now that you have to go with what culture and self celebrities and and society wants you to believe and what's the what's the victim truth because the quran says here give us your proof and i could come up with a dozen examples of this in modern culture now i don't want to do it because i'll get banned but the point being that there's a lot of things you can't talk about with any honesty anymore. Not because you can't say it, but modern culture is so intolerant that it will not tolerate you saying it. And at the head of that is religious, you know, a, a religious community expressing their right to say what's in their scripture. You know, what's in the Quran, teaching it as it is without fear of, of, of um, you know, being, um, you know, banned from speaking in public, for example. That's a real threat. Yeah. 
And so this culture, which seems this culture that we live in, which says it's you know posits itself as being so tolerant and inclusive, is actually intolerant. The, in, the tolerance that it used to espouse is now created an intolerance, and that's why you know it's an interesting 20, 30 years we've got ahead of us in, in the West, not for Muslims, but I think just for society in general, where you know the tensions that were there. I think they're going to. Um, alhamdulillah, or you know, okay. you know, in Turkish we say, we say Allah Kurusun, may Allah protect us. Allah Kurusun. Eight forty-eight is iftar today. Time just now is eight twenty-six, and uh, I'm going to move on to the next two ayahs, and I've got something uh, in my mind that I want to discuss. But let's take the translation <laughs> and commentary. La yasfiquna hu bil qawli wa hum bi amrihi yamalun. So this is a quality of the, the people who are subservient Ibadur Rahman or the prophets. This is what I want to understand. Who are these people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about? This is, this, is, this is the angels. This is the angels. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what is the angel? 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 Yes, yeah, so what's your question? Uh, let's have your comment first. No, I, I kind of explained the, the verses in, in general, but is, this is about the fact that they, they say that the, the merciful has taken a son or offspring. In other mm-hmm. words, partners and has some kind of function of progeny and these kind of things. Allah says, mukramun, But rather they're, they're honored servants. And who are these servants? We'd understand them to be angels because they never state anything except by the command of God. And we know that's a quality of angels generally. Um, and then it just describes Allah. Then it just describes the qualities of God, which are not the qualities of everything else that you know they would make, make as idols. Because an idol, what, what quality does it have? Does it know the future? Does it know how to make itself? Does it have any ability to help you? This will come up actually later on in the, the chapter when you have the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. When he, in, in fact, I was talking about mockery, wasn't I? You know, yeah. One of the funniest parts in, in this whole chapter is is Ibrahim just putting a, an axe around the, the, the neck of, you know, when I think of it, I laugh at light. I mean, I really have a good giggle because it is so funny. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think like think about it. Look at the look at the intellect. Anyway, we're going to come to that later. The intellect of the prophet mocking them and saying, <laughs> "That is so funny." I mean, you can imagine the, the the idol worshippers that are really into idol worship and it's like an addiction, getting really angry. But you can imagine everybody else having a good giggle at that. Sheikh, mm-hmm. I number twenty-eight. Yeah, so 28. The point is, it's saying that the quality of, of, of the creator has to be that he knows whatever is before them, whatever is behind them. He knows everything. In other words, omniscient. Omniscient basically means knows everything. And then also, one of the things is that even if you say something else has some kind of power, it only has power if Allah gives it to them. And that's shafa. So anything that has power that power is still borrowed by God. So if a prophet can can um, act as an intercessor with, for people with God, then that is still given, delegated, and permitted by God still. Not so there, is, there, there, so there is a certain emphasis on <clears throat> this aspect of intercession. And there is slight tension sometimes between... <coughs> within the Muslim community of the extent of intercession and how to interact with this concept of intercession. 
Mm. Yeah, so the, the, the concept of intercession is established as part of, apart from the Mu'tazilite sect, there was no real opposition to this. Um, the opposition to it came from people influenced by that sect, which were, you know, certain strands of the Hanafi's school of law were actually influenced by the Mu'tazilite sect. That's a different big issue. Um, so in books of fiqh, you know, some of these remnants of these ideas were still there so that shafa is not permitted and, um, you know, seeking, you know, somebody to make dua for you or in the future that somebody helps you is not permitted. That all comes from this idea that, you know, you only, it actually comes from the Quran um, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he says that, وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وَزِرَ أُخْرَى and verses like that, that people only have what they themselves have earned and nobody will carry the burden of anybody else. So the verses like that indicate that you're on your own. Like Zubair, you're on your own. Like on the Day of Judgment, you've got your bag with, with good and bad in it. That's it. The door's closed behind you and it's God in front of you questioning you. The Ahl of Jama'ah said, no, part of your makeup as a human being is your associations your affiliations, your love, your connection, and your emotional attachment to things. And you know the amount of time you invest into that of honoring somebody, respecting somebody, um, loving somebody, you can call on that at certain points because that shows your leaning towards a good end in, in a sense. So you have nothing, you have no prayers, nothing, but you love God and his messenger. Okay, so you love God and his messenger. And so the one that you love is saying, oh, this person loves me. And so it's like this basic idea that, you know, the person that loves you will want the good want good for you. And Allah said that person who loves you is such an amazing servant of mine's. If they want something, I want it. Mm. Do you understand? Like, forget you and your sins. Allah's conversation is with the person He loves and and Him. So you're just like squashed like an ant in the middle, and then the the big discussion is between Allah and and these these individuals that care for you. But God says, look, they should not be allowed to continue where they are. But the, the one that loves Allah says. But they love me and therefore they love you. And then there's this kind of um, quite interesting, amusing situation where, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of sweating and then you're, you're being let off. It's almost like being in a, in a, in a passport um, office in Istanbul when um, your visa has been refused or something like that or residency has been refused. It's like you have no power, but somebody comes and helps you, you know. And so this is Shafa. Shafa is essentially... A situation where one of the awliya or one of the prophets or you know they intercede and they speak on your behalf so the conversation is between god and his beloved not us we become irrelevant become irrelevant because you know it's what you your connection was to the one that's beloved to god which is important here Bashir kahi nazir kahi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. And so the Prophet said in the Hadith Qudsi, which is the words of God, or the, or the, the meaning which is expressed by the Prophet, which are the words of the Prophet, but from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly, which is, And if this person, this special person was to ask me, I would give them it. And if they were to seek protection from me, not just for themselves, but for other people, I would give grant them the protection. So God has promised a person who is worshipping and subservient and true and sincere to his worship of God or her worship to God, that that person can then ask for other people to be pardoned. That's the situation. It's like, that's like divine love. That's the perfect manifestation of how connections come in handy. You know, even in the world that we live in, you know, you have a connection, a good connection, or you have a connection of a connection. Yeah. And what we know from, you know, studies about, you know, social interaction is that it's not the person that you know that's important. It's the person that you know, knowing somebody else that gets you what you want to get to.
You know, you're you're looking at your phone, you've got probably contacts there. The contacts there have got a contact somewhere which is probably more important to you than the contact itself. What I'm looking at is the name of the Prophet, which I want uh, from you to comment on. Um Allah uh, Nabi Sallam Sifarish Karengi. what's the name? Sahib Shifa. Sahib Shifa. This is is not a Shafi. You can say Shafi'a, but you can also say Sahib Shafa'a, the one that is given the status station of interceding. But Shafi is also the name of Prophet. Shafi is also the name of the Prophet, Shafi'a, which is the one that intercedes. But there's a specific name which is called Sahib Shafa'a, which is the, the person invested with the status of interceding, which is a special one. So Shafi'a is many people. You may be a Shafi'a. Your parents may be a Shafi'a. If you have a if you have offspring that have memorized the Quran, they will be a Shafi'a for you. The Quran can be a Shafi'a. The fast can be a Shafi'a. In other words, the fast can intercede for you. The Quran can intercede for you. And we know this in Sahih Hadith that the Quran and, and the fast do intercede for people. Interse the people intercede are people and things. So God, anything that has a, a special Status in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is you know given that privilege of interceding and speaking on behalf of somebody else. Shafiq and Shafa literally means um to be single by yourself. And it, it basically indicates the fact that something else comes together with you and joins to strengthen your case. So you can imagine somebody going into court by themselves. The the defense lawyer comes and strength. Because a defense lawyer is almost a necessity to get through this, this trial. And so on the day of judgment, you're by yourself. And then the defense lawyer comes and you've got a good defense lawyer. So, so, so the concept that Allah is near, is close to our jugular vein, Hamari Shahrakh Sekarib, Allah listens to you. Uh, your cries and your du'as and requires no one but you and him. Mm -hmm. But then we also need someone. No, it's not that there's nothing, nothing, nothing's needed except you and him. That's again, that is um, a misunderstanding of Tawheed because there's also this thing if God Himself has said that. To you know, it's almost like creating a richer religious experience, um, a deeper religious experience, which is to approach Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You have to go through things like the word of the word of God, which is the Quran. Like in in, in Ramadan, how do we come close to God? We come to God through um, reciting the Quran, which is, which is what is the word of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We we approach God by going to a masjid, for example. And we approach God by turning to in a specific direction. And we approach God by doing specific actions. The actions are not God. The book itself is not God. The masjid is not God. These are all what we call wasail, which are means and associations that we use to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, a person, you know, it's famous hadith with seven people given a shade on the day of judgment. On a day there's no shade except the shade of God. One of them is, رَجْنٌ قَلْبُهُ مُعَلَّقْ Masajid, a person whose heart is attached or dangling within the mosque. Fil Masajid or Bil Masajid. It's either he's attached to mosques or is attached in mosques. Meaning his heart is attached to a place that's beloved to God. And because of that, what does the Prophet say? This is one of the seven people who will be shaded from the, the, the shaded in the day of judgment and day there's no shade except the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of what? Think about it. It's because the fact they're attached to the place of worship that God has seen as being honored on earth. And so all of our worship is through an inter intercedery. It's all through a, a, a means. And um, if Allah subhanahu himself says, you know, approach through this means, then how can you then reject it? You know, by fasting, by praying. These are all things that help us do that. Otherwise, how would you, how would you approach Allah? Like, what would you do? You would just sit and speak and speak and speak. But God so wants dua, you to do it through our, certain our, our dua should be that um, may our Prophet become our intercessor on the Day of Judgment. 
Absolutely. I, mean, I mean, any Muslim, I would imagine, that didn't say that would... Um, is in trouble. Startle me. It would, it really st if I ever met a Muslim who said that, what you just said, I would like really kind of be taken aback because I'm thinking what meant what mind what mentality no as Imam Shafi'i says you know with, with which book and which sunnah you know basically where did you get this from where did you concoct this idea of religion where you've you've taken the Prophet out of the whole equation like which religion is this like which book which Quran which sunnah which scripture tell me about it because we'd love to know because by consensus among Sunni scholars at least, and also among Shia scholars as well now, the shafa of the Prophet is a reality in this life and the hereafter. In it's this life and the hereafter? In this life and the hereafter. You tell me. It's a reality. It's not you. I mean, it's just um, ingrained within our tafsir literature, in the hadith literature, in the literature of, of our theology. Apart from the Mu'tazilites, everybody accepted that there's a, an idea of shafa, which the Prophet will seek forgiveness for his com community. Not just the Prophet but other people will seek forgiveness and, and so how do I do it in, how do I do it in this life or for this life? So I mean the, the greatest you know practicalities of this are to follow. I mean it's not misconceptions come out of the fact that you think it is to do with asking. That's one aspect of it, which is to ask Allah to you know, what do you say after Adhan? You know, this is this is why I'm so confused oh. about this whole situation. What happened? Yeah. I'm kind of like I'm kind of sometimes I, I sometimes I speak to a lot of modern people that study with, with I mean people that study courses that I do. Sometimes I do take a deep breath and I sit down and you know kind of just look. What were you all about? <laughs> no, no, look. I just look and I think of my life and think, and I think of their life and just I kind of have a nice moment of peace, where I think where have, where have people been like, you know, they have a big beard and they'll have a big jubba or a hijab and everything, but you're thinking, you you feel sorry for them because where have you been? they've been plowed with all of this very shallow religion. For so long, and you just think, you know, you you feel sorry. You feel you feel sorry that you know our 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 education when we were young was not done in the way that it should have been. Because it's basic. It's everywhere. Like after the dan, you basically ask for this shafa. You ask for the wasila. You ask for maqam al mahmud, which is a place where, you know, essentially the person who has it has the quality of interceding. And the Prophet said shafaati. My, my intercession is specifically and in its most focused for the people that commit major sins from our community. Major sins, sorry, major sins. So the point is that that's like, that's, that's a hadith which is sahih and it's narrated to the point of being mashhur, not mutawatir, but like kind of well known and accepted. So the fact that this exists, the only issue is something else which people get confused which is istighatha which is a different thing which is to go somewhere and ask somebody who's passed away to help them which is a big controversial area not necessarily forbidden but it's, it's controversial because of the fact that um if you know what you're what you're saying it's not shirk but it's not permitted for general people to do because they don't understand what they're doing and so that's that's not shafa. That's something completely different. Istighatha is to you know seek help from somebody who's passed away, and um, you know there's a whole you know extensive discussion on that, which you know is going to continue to the end of time. It's not a major issue in religion. It's not. I think it's not worth even debating or discussing. It's a it's a dis point of disagreement among scholars. But shafa, the Prophet is Sahib shafa. He's a shafi'a, the one that is promised that his word will join with your word on the day of judgment to aid you if, and there's a condition, isn't it? If you were connected to him in this life. And so if you were a person that loved the Prophet more than yourself and your wealth and everything that's around you, you're a candidate for that shafa. And if you're not, you're on, you're not on the list. Like you can imagine there's a kind of metaphorical list in the day of judgment and the people for Shafa are there and your name doesn't come on the list. It just means that you weren't one of these people that loved the Prophet enough. 
Mm. And so, you know, how do you love you love through knowing his character, knowing his his love for you, knowing his connection and his plea for you on the day of judgment, Ummati, Ummati. That's like a basic. The Prophet used to not pray for himself while on earth, he used to pray for people. You know, like when he used to stand up for tahajjud and night prayer to until the point that his blessed feet became swollen, it was for us, not for, you know, essentially for him, except to underline his station as being a, 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 a grateful servant. Abdun Shukur. Shafiullah. <clears throat> so Shafat, uh, for, for me, uh, what I've learned today is more than what I knew. Uh, about the concept of Shifa. Shifa is not just the, the image I had before this conversation that Shafi Allah, Allah's messenger, will be our Shafi on the day of judgment. But we seek his Shafaat in this world for the matter of this world as well. Mm. That's something that we need to continue thinking about. And we leave people with this thought. That our faith isn't complete until we love our Prophet more than everything else and have this firm belief that he is the one who's going to intercede on the Day of Judgment and he is our intercessor in this world for the matters of this world as well. Until tomorrow, 7.30, <clears throat> Assalamu Alaikum. We leave you with this little track followed by Adhan. 8.48 is Iftar today. Assalamu Alaikum. Alaikum